You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I am thrilled to be with you. I'm here with my buddies up in Baltimore, Maryland. We got Jeffrey Simpson. Hey, 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 it's baseball season. Down in Southern South Carolina, looking very relaxed, very comfortable, very cozy. We got Delmar Pete. Hello from the Lazy Boy. And uh, by himself in the morning after ministry studios, because uh, Tim is on assignment, we have Andrew Larson. Tim is churning butter at Colonial Williamsburg, so I don't know if that's assignment or a Dude, he's not very break. far from me. Well, Colonial Williamsburg. Um, Tell him to come He doesn't love you enough to call. Wow. I mean, I would, but hurtful. Andrew, 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 and Jeff, you know this too. Did um, did you guys ever? I gotta be careful because it might be a slur. Are you talking about Cracker but, Country at the Florida State yeah, Fair? You said it. You said it. <laughs> uh, the best field trip of my life was Cracker Country the best, at the oh, Florida State the Fair. So if you don't know, so no, you don't. You don't. You don't know what this is. But <laughs> at the Florida State Fair, right. there is this like weird uh, early eighteen hundreds, I guess, kind of like. Pre antebellum is that is that pre antebellum yeah. is that the right phrase? Um, kind of place where that you can pre antebellum would be butter. pre pre civil war slavery. You're right. right. So antebellum, antebellum is slavery or or yeah yeah. So okay. antebellum times it was it, it, so you could, like churn butter. It's supposed to be like a way for to teach kids what life was like before electricity and all this other stuff. But <laughs> it's, oh, it's, no. it's, it's it's called cracker country. But and, I don't think cracker was a slur until it, it got wasn't. made into a slur. Because like, in Newport Ritchie growing up at one of the libraries when I was a kid, we would go to the cracker house, which was next to the library. And it was basically that. It was like you walk in and they had the room set up like they would have been when wow. that house was like really, you know, there was no air conditioning. And here's how the bedroom was. And I mean, there's there's that stuff all over the place up here because of all the history. I, um, I remember being told in third grade, oh, no, it's cracker country because – the whip cracked because oh, it was all the cattle that was in yeah. Florida, and so that's for why it sure. was cracked. No way. I was like, for, they're as a, half as a third grader, I was like, "You're not telling <laughs> us something. Yeah, they're half There's right. something missing from this explanation." Having oh. said that, say- one of my one of my best friends uh, who might be listening to this, Stephen Causey, shout out. His mom, when we were in high school, used to make this recipe called cracker chicken. Amazing. Oh yeah, uh, it's good. Amazing. And um, I don't know if it has anything to do with that, but I think it does. And all I remember is I wish I could have some of that now because it was so good. I w- now you're making me wonder if Cracker Barrel has 100% some, uh, it has that. Oh, really? A hundred percent. I literally thought it was because decorations the... are the way they are? <laughs> okay. I'm have serious. That, have you ever seen that thing where you uh, print out a picture of yourself in sepia tone and try to hide it in a Cracker Barrel? Yeah. Dude, I've done that to well, a couple church members Actually, here. Actually, no. Okay. It is. It I thought room. this was true. It's a reference to soda um, barrels of soda crackers once found in country stores around which sure. informal discussions would take place between customers. Nice. But you can't tell me that Cracker Barrel is not like. It's in the South. Sundown city laws. Countries. <laughs> like, <laughs> Dude, why, Delmar, why do you think they always have that first table that seats six when you walk into Cracker Barrel? That's supposed to be the size, I think, of the. Like the top of that barrel where you can sit around. Oh, is it really? I just totally made that up. Oh. <laughs> I love hey, welcome that, to that, truth that in modern times. When you first walk in. Yeah. But if you're if you're in Central Florida and around the Florida State Fair time, <laughs> do it. And you can make it over to Cracker Country. 
put aside all the problematic issues with it, just it, no. it like it's so fun. It was the best Mrs. Trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Mrs. Trip. <laughs> it was the best. It was the best field trip <laughs> of trip. like middle school, high school. <laughs> Go there, evangelize. Yeah, that's how we got this problem. Okay, Anyways, now I gotta uh, I gotta ask a question that came up right as we did our introductions here. Yeah, Delmar, are you sitting in a lazy boy with your laptop in your lap? Like, how is this working? Because I'm real interested. Uh, okay, so. For those of you who may know, we've started a new podcast uh, called The Living in Harmony. It's a family podcast. Our church has been doing it. And uh, we've got this upstairs studio that's kind of studded out with oh, mics so you're at the and church? stuff. No, I'm in, the, I'm in the upstairs of my studio. Oh, this nice. is where we record it. And we are currently, I'm transitioning, whoops, I'm currently transitioning the whole space to like a whole different vibe with like TVs and that stuff. That sounded like a Mortal Kombat intro. <laughs> <laughs> That's me hitting the mic. So anyways, I haven't got my mount set up for my laptop yet. We've got the chairs, we've got the mics, but I haven't got my mount yet. Oh, nice. It's really comfortable. Dude, so. I like it. Yeah, yeah that's you like should... the, that's that's the end thing now. Is everybody sitting in like comfy chairs with a mic with a mic on a boom, right? Dude, that's I found all the, these all the chairs. Podcasts are doing it. These recliners with like cup holders wow. and everything for a hundred dollars a piece at a thrift store. Nice, and they're like brand new. I was Decent like, color too, too, gray, huh? Yeah, gray goes. Yeah, we are really in the weeds there. now. Mm-hmm. All right, well let's get back out of the weeds. Um, we have an article uh, from the Gospel. Coalition. Oh gosh, not that one. This is really going to penetrate the conversation today, isn't it, fellas? Yikes, yikes. Uh, I feel like there's been enough Generative seed. Yes. (laughs) There's been enough conversation about that that article. I'm Um, blushing right now. Guys, I am so incredibly generous. (laughs) Yikes. Okay, Okay. so we are not talking about that article, but there's an article by (laughs) Rebecca Lankford on the Gospel Coalition uh, entitled "How to Worship in Response." When you're... No. <laughs> no, how to worship? How to worship in response? How to worship when your church is your workplace? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, actually, this is this is a, a fascinating conversation because, um, in general, like I think in Bible college, you start having these conversations about like you know where you work when you work when you worship where you work it can be difficult and stuff like that. I think this article talked about something that I don't think I was ever prepared for. When, when you have um, a multi-staff church having, like, interpersonal relationships with those other staff members and, like, one, like you know, if you're a number two and number three person on the org chart and, like, your friends go to that church, if you vent about your boss, you're venting about the pastor who's preaching the word. And that's, that's complicated. That's difficult because you could be harming the congregant who's listening. So it's pretty interesting. Um, so... I, uh, I've, this article came out and I thought it was pretty interesting. I passed it to you guys. Just want to know what your thoughts are. I would encourage you to read it. The, the, the link is in the show notes, but it, it kind of helps the, the, you as a person on staff at a church to kind of reset your mind when you think about when you worship at your church, but also rethink about how you see your coworkers, um, how you, you know, protect your Sabbath, if your Sabbath is on Sunday. And there's even a little recognition to lay people to kind of care for people who are on staff at a church. So I'm assuming you guys read this article. Let me ask you this question. When you're not leading on a Sunday, do you struggle to worship at your church? I would say in some aspects, it's been worse than it is now. But uh, yes, because I am overly critical which is part of what on on a normal week helps me because i'm you know kind of pulling things 
hopefully towards excellence, although I think that can be a futile, you know, it, that can have wrong motivations too. But it is difficult for me because it's just like if I'm sitting there and somebody forgets to turn a mic on, it's like I can feel my butt levitating out of the seat to go <laughs> run back to the sound booth, you know. Like it's just so hard to be like just it's going to be what it is and let them do their thing. And so and which is then is really distracting from, you know, being able to fully engage worship wise. So um, I do think, though, the whole idea of like like engaging in worship and then also leading like I think we maybe draw lines that don't need to be drawn. You know, I, I tell my worship team this all the time, like the act. You getting up and being here for rehearsal is part of your worship. So, like, you don't have to do the thing where, oh, I couldn't worship because I had to get here on time and all that. Like, that's part of it. So, you know, I think part of that for me is, like, I am worshiping by being at church, by being with the community of faith. But, yeah, it can be a little difficult to kind of engage, you know, in songs and fully engage with the sermon and everything if I'm just there and not leading anything. Um, But more recently in my church... Um, you know, we're in a different season where there's people who are really able to lead those things and who do things with excellence and who care about it. So, um, it's become easier, but it was, it, it has been hard depending on the season of, of kind of church I was in. Dumber, how about you? Especially, I mean, you're kind of like me where you're not the main communicator. Of yeah, it, man, I'm going to tell you, are you able to turn oh, go it ahead. Off? Yeah, man, for me. Where I'm at now at my church, and I get nothing from saying this, even though I know my pastor listens to this podcast, he he's such a good communicator, good preacher. I I enjoy coming to church because yes, I love doing what I'm supposed to do. I love you know I video, I help video in the sermons. You know I work with my adults who are over students. I check in on the kids ministry department, the family ministries. But when it's time for that the worship to happen, I. I genuinely enjoy it. Um, what we do is we we listen to the sermon. Then right after the sermon, um, after worship, we roll into our podcast on Sundays, and we do like a post-show breakdown of the sermon and how to apply it to families' lives. And it has just been so good for me. And, and I think if anyone's gone through a season of drought, when you find yourself in a season of abundance, you really appreciate it while you're there because you know there are seasons, Right. So for me, I, I'm, I'm more what you would call in a season of abundance as far as my worship goes. Now, obviously, I'm kind of like Jeff, so I will produce a video or something, and uh, we'll have it ready, queued up to go to church. And the other day, they went to roll live on a video, and the sound was off. It wasn't the sound on the video. It was on the system, and it sounded like you know, the T3 Terminator invasion was happening. And I, it was like, oh, that kind of just killed it, you know? But for me, I think... I love what this article has to say about remember who you came to hear. You know, I really like that because no matter what happens during the week, when we come together on the weekend, we're putting all that aside because we're coming to worship our creator together and acknowledge him and be reverent to him. So for me, having that lock focus is, is really good. Um, and then this will tie into our later discussion. So I don't want to steal thunder from that, but like Sunday morning for me is coming to a high time of pastoral care. Um, a season of pastoral care, having those conversations with people. So, yeah, I've, I've really been enjoying the worship. Um, when I, when I, when I read the article, it, it talked about protecting your day off and, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, especially for a lot of pastors, they'll have Friday off or sometimes they have Monday off. 
Uh, I think we talked about this before, but like if you can kind of maybe summarize what are ways that you're protecting your days off? Because I often think as a pastor, Sunday, like it's funny because we've been in the Sabbath series and everyone is telling me about how Sunday is their Sabbath. And for me, I'm like, Sunday is everything but the Sabbath for me. Like, I, right. I have to find a different day. So my question for you guys is, like, how are you protecting your day off? Are you, like, putting on focus mode, putting on away email messages and stuff like that? Do you feel like your church, your congregants have good boundaries with you in terms of, like, not talking to you those days? Like, how's that going for you guys? I think the staff at my church protects my Sabbath really, really well. Uh, Shirley, who some of you guys know, will straight up tell people, no, don't, uh, you know, don't try to schedule this on Friday, which is, it's unfortunate because in a lot of ways the as the world has moved to a more remote uh, work model for so many people, a lot of people have freedom and flexibilities specifically on Fridays and Mondays that they have never had before. Yeah. And so they think, oh, great, this will be perfect. And it's like, ooh, sorry, <laughs> that's a day that I can't or won't meet with you. And so um, in some ways I, I try to be flexible and then it's just kind of like shot down. I feel like, no, that is Andrew's day off. Don't you dare try to get him to come out and be a part of that. Um, but I, I think it's it's also just the balance of am I going to take Sabbath, um, you know, exactly one 24-hour period at a time? Or am I going to leave the office at two o'clock two days this week so that I can meet someone to do something that needs to be done on a Friday? And for some people, having hard and fast rules makes the most sense. And I think at other times, having having rhythms and flexibility is what's going to make the most sense to the most people. As far as my time off. I, I guess, Andrew, I would form more into the hard, fast rules. Like I really, when I'm on, like I'm, I try to like really genuinely be on when I'm off, I'm off. And like my phone is catching all my texts, check, catching my calls. That doesn't mean if something crazy comes up that I'm not, uh, but I've, I've gotten up at, I'm not a morning person. I'm, I'm halfway an early morning person, you know, but I've gotten up at like 5 a.m. to go meet with someone in the morning on a work day to protect my day off. Now, part of that is because on my day off, I watched three of my kids at home. So I can't, I am, this isn't like, oh, I'm super guy. I've forced myself a day off. No, <laughs> I'm watching three kids. So it's not like I could just like meet with you. So I do have that. But, uh, but I try to set up a real high, I try to fence that day real high. And our staff at church are really good about doing that too. Now, if there is a day uh, that I do have to like, technically Mondays are my day off. So right now hanging out with you guys, I'm enjoying that. But like, if there's something I have to do on a Monday, that's going to eat up the whole day. Our, our pastor's really big. Well, what's your day then? Is it Tuesday? Is it Friday? Because we're not coming in this weekend burned out. And I think having that as part of the DNA and the culture of your church and of your staff, it does, it helps train your congregation and it helps train your own staff. Do you guys find yourself in that article I talked about, um, um, you know, not venting about other coworkers or bosses uh, to congregations, you know, your congregation and stuff like that. And like the hard thing about being a pastor sometimes, especially for like your spouse and kids is like their friends are probably other church people. Um, so like, I mean, Jeff and Andrew, you guys, you know, have elders that are active in your church. Do you like find yourself biting your tongue, talking candidly about your elders 
to other people. So, Frank, you're saying that your elders are not active in your church? Wow. <laughs> That's what I heard. I'm, wow. I was trying to context- Way to throw your elders hey, under the bus, Frank. Th- th- this is what I get for trying to contextualize to your tiny church, all right? So. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> wow. I said that <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but what do you guys, what not do you guys really. have to say? Yeah, I think it's it's you do have to bite your you have to be I wouldn't say bite your tongue, but you have to be wise with your words, yeah. which you always should be anyway. But there is the dynamic of, you know, the position and the title and the and the quote unquote power that comes with that, which I would I'm still trying to find. Um, but yeah, I mean, you definitely have to be careful. I remember when I first came here, one of my elders actually pulled me aside after a birthday party where I was kidding around and was like, "Hey, you know, I'm going to chalk it up to just kind of a rookie mistake, but you probably." You just need to be careful making those kind of jokes about people, um, you know, because this particular person really doesn't handle that stuff well. Um, so, yeah, you, you do have to be careful. But, um, yeah, your eggs are all kind of in one basket and it is hard and that's just part of ministry life. And and I would say the temptation when you're on a multi staff and you disagree with the lead with the leadership, it, the temptation is there to go and start trouble under the, you know, kind of behind the scenes under the surface and talk bad about people. And we've talked about that a bunch of times in this podcast. So um, I just think don't do that at all, um, you know. But as a solo pastor, it's tricky because there is no other staff to talk to. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, you have the elders, but they're it's still different because they're not financially supported by the church. Um, and some of this comes down to the health and unhealth of some of your congregants. There are people who have the attitude of like, you work for me because I give to the church. Um, and if that's the case, you really have to be careful with those people because that attitude is kind of toxic. Um, and it's really unhealthy. And so you have to both pastor that, but also then like as a friend, you have to know where the boundaries are. So I would just say like, if you you know, the boundaries book or books and all that stuff with boundaries, I think it's cloud. If I remember right. Um, that stuff is really good to understand that there there are certain boundaries you just can't cross, um, which means you, you really better take care of your marriage so that you can, you know, vent to your, your spouse. Um, and then, like we say all the time, I mean, this venue, you know, when we're not recording, for me is the place where I vent about that stuff and I'm able to talk in a in a space where it's like I'm not worried about so-and-so talking to so-and-so and kind of misconstruing what I said or me hurting somebody with my words through someone else telling them what I said. So I would say pastors, you need to have friends that are pastors who are maybe not connected in any way to your church or even denomination so that you can have the freedom to really kind of process stuff. That That's how Tim and I really became friends. We were both people finding ourselves at church, churches that were not quite in the tradition that we grew up in. And we were the youngest person on staff by decades and we became buddies as a way to survive because you you need someone who is at a similar life stage and um, having someone who's at a similar life stage in a similar job as you, there's there's no better sounding board, I think. And so um, yeah, the the podcasts that we do and the you know resources that we've created are all just an overflow of, there was a point for both of us. I think I was 29 ish and he w- would have been 24 ish um, where we just needed an outlet. So yes, you want to be friends with people on staff and yes, you want to, um, you know, you want to guard the people on staff, 
but I would echo what Jeff said and don't do ministry alone. Find someone who you can talk about your ministry with in ways as though they are, you know, in your same role at your same church, only they're not. So you have the freedom to say the things that you could not say to another staff right. person or could not say to an elder at your church. The way I, uh, the way I frame it is every pastor needs uh, a friend that can fill two buckets. One, it's a friend that um, doesn't need anything from you. So like, like mm-hmm. they're not your boss. You're not their boss or, or they're not your employee or something like that. And uh, the, other, the other kind of friend, uh, the other bucket they need to fill is that they're not impressed with you. So like I even like I was even mentioning you guys today to uh, a friend of mine um, where what I love about the you guys is you guys don't need anything from me because you guys don't serve in my church and stuff like that. But also you guys aren't impressed with me. And I always talk about how like you guys not even (laughs) you guys roast me for like every week. And I'm like and but like that 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 roasting is a sign of um, probably more of anything. It's a maturity of ministry of like bigger stages and bigger more more seats and more 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 butts and seats is not an impressive stat in ministry by other ministry leaders as much as it might be for other folks and so i think that like what's encouraging is that like having a friend that can fill those two buckets are friends that you can actually trust and you can actually um speak to jeff you said something that was interesting you talked about how an oh, are you talking oh wow Sorry. Thanks. <laughs> you talked about how you were cracking jokes and an elder pulled you aside or whatever, and, and that actually is something interesting. Because I was thinking about like, if the- no, and to be like to be straight, he did it in a very loving oh, like. Sure. It was totally to help me. It was not like, hey, don't do that. It was like, hey, just you know, you don't know the people here that well. He was actually pointing out somebody's somebody else's like dysfunction. Sure, like they can't handle that that particular person you need to know and that and that you know and that, don't don't and it was really it was i was really thankful that he did that and that's my point is like like if let's say the four of us and let's put tim in there the five of us were working at church you know like our staff meetings would be really silly we would have a really good time like joking and, and teasing each other and we would get nothing done, We'd get nothing done. <laughs> <laughs> but um but here's the thing so like let's say uh i'm with a congregant talking about Jeff and I know the relationship I have with Jeff and I'm like teasing him in front of the congregant, that might not be good for the congregant. You know what I'm saying? They might not be able to, right. to, to process that. I think about that sometimes um, uh, depending on what service, sometimes I'll sit in the green room with some of the band and we'll watch the sermon on TV. I'll make a, I'll think of a comment to my worship guy who's on staff about the speaker, whether he's like, Oh, he's wearing those shoes today or he loves that shirt. And, like, we know internally in the staff, like, these are conversations we have regularly that's not, like, inappropriate, but it's more humorous. Right. But I think about the congregant who maybe serves once a month or twice a month who doesn't understand that humor and think, like, why are they really, like, ragging on his clothes or his hair or, or whatever? And I think right. to myself, like, I got I to gotta be mindful of that stuff I say. Mm. If it's if it's humorous, I'm not like slandering or even like venting about something. But even those jokes can be misconstrued and be unhelpful to a congregant. It's almost like there's a like a pastoral relational version of locker room talk. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where like like boys can kid around with each other in a locker room and really, I mean, say some pretty mean things to each other. But because you know your brother's out on the field, yeah. okay, Donald it is, Trump. Yeah, but then you don't do that when you're not around those people. And um, and I just think that – and I don't mean to be crass necessarily, but I just mean there are things we can talk about with each other because we're all in ministry and we kind of understand. 
you know, it's almost it's funny too. There's almost like the same people at every church. It's almost like there's caricatures yeah. of the same kind of spiritual need at every church and the same kind of mature people at every church too. Right. And so we can kind of like we understand without really having to explain the whole thing, but you can't do that in front of everybody. And I think you know, I Well, like pastors will point. share and we've even shared here talking before. Jeff, you'll drop something going on in your church and it will just your your what you're saying in your disposition if you were just an average person listening wouldn't be matching because you'd be like this is a horrible thing and you just said it nonchalant. Right. Well, the fact is you you've seen it 10 times and everyone else here is through the shock factor of it. We want to get to the okay, we're listening factor of it. Where's you, where are you at? But that but like what you said, you you remove that from pastors amongst pastors, it can come across very, very different. So I think that's a really good word. I would cut that, Frank. That'd be a good uh, excerpt for the week. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, this is, I think it's a good article. I think it's it's helpful whether you are a solo pastor or if maybe you're a youth pastor and you feel like you're isolated in ministry or you're in a multi-staff church, whatever the situation may be, this is a good article, I think, to help you kind of maybe... One more aside. Can yeah, I say ahead, one more aside, Frank? I want to caution anybody here, and, and this is this is going to tread a lot of different waters, but if your person that you vent to is your best friend and they're also on staff with you, be very careful with that. You know what I'm saying? Because, because it, that venting may go back both ways. Sometimes they might vent something to you that they're not even really venting, but you take it that way, and now you feel like you're in an awkward triangle that what you said earlier about your person needs to be somebody who's not necessarily who's not on staff with you. I can't emphasize that enough, right? Because if you're talking to someone who's your best friend and I'm, I'm speaking from experience here, right? I had a best friend who's on staff. It ended up, it took a best friendship and turned it into something completely different. So I would encourage you, let that person be the guys who you talk with, you know, on a podcast or, you know, somebody who you just go walking and talking on the phone with that the hard part is this it's that there may never be someone who can be in that space with you on staff with you now in my experiences cuz i've played big churches and small churches i have found it personally for me easier to be friends with people on a smaller staff like just in general because there's less um what do you call it bureaucracy and stuff in the way you know, like my, my, my lead pastor now, he, he shoots structure. me memes. Yeah. yeah, less structure. Yeah. Like he can shoot me memes and they're hilarious. I would never get a meme from my former senior pastor. If I did, or if I send him one, I'd be getting called into an office somewhere, you know? So there is, you have to take into account where you're serving as well, right? So in smaller structures, sometimes you can have a little more robust of a, of a friendship in that way. But in the big one, you have to realize like it is going to oftentimes be structured a lot higher. And, and more for efficiency than relationship. That's not a slam, except it kind of is, I know, but it is, it's, they have to be built for efficiency. So just keep that in mind when you're thinking about who to pull into your space. That's good. Well, and I think the higher on the org chart you climb, the harder it is as well. You know, when I was 22 um, and I, there was a paper thin level between me and the intern, um, I could do whatever I wanted because I was the 22 year old middle school pastor. You know, nobody, nobody saw me as a grown up, which is another issue for, for another day. Mm -hmm. um, but, and then when I was on uh, staff where, you know, the, the youth ministry staff was like four or five of us all on the youth ministry staff. Well, yeah, we had a different camaraderie there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once I moved into an associate role and now a lead pastor role, there are things that I 
you know, I, I used to uh, hide under one of the secretary's desk and like prank her with an air horn. Um, oh and that gosh. was a hilarious thing for me to do. <laughs> now it probably would not be appropriate if I did that because I'm oh, surely clipping that. Um, do yeah, that. Clipping that. It, might don't kill, do that to <laughs> it might kill someone and that would be very bad. <laughs> Wow. Um, I I think all this, there's, there's a wisdom in the people you choose to be vulnerable with, um, relationally. And, uh, I, I can't stress this enough. Uh, I mean, it's kind of the hard part to be pastoring. Like the reason why we need to network as pastors isn't just to get good ideas. It's a part of it. Isn't just to kind of like, you know, bounce off, you know, concepts and stuff like that. It, it, It is, that you need relationships that probably are not found in your congregation, in your church. And there is an aspect to this where when you have, when you're, when you're relationship with someone who is in ministry as well, who like, kind of just gets the tension, who gets to, you know, the stressors in your marriage are different. Your, your holidays are different. You're going to Disney world and off peak seasons because of like the weirdness of your schedule and all this stuff. Like, other pastors get it, and this is why Pratley Pastoring exists. So, if there's ever an event that Pratley Pastoring is doing, you should hop on it because uh, those your if you're Andrew, your Tim is waiting for you. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. All right, let's go to the uh, to, to the next question. This is actually was a question that was in our Facebook group, um, and uh, it's ironic because I think Andrew is the uh, he he was late to our meeting because he doesn't have boundaries in this apparently. What is the uh, no the, the walk-in that I had was not someone for council. I know, I know. It was it was a small business owner at one of the uh, properties adjacent to the church who just bought the restaurant. So, trying to yeah. get me that free food, man. Yeah, do it, do it. What? Here's the question: What is a practical cap to the amount of pastoral counseling hours you perform per week? That's the question. And then uh, here's kind of the, the the color he gives to it. This week, I'm going to hit around seven hours of pastoral counseling. I feel like that is pretty close to my max, but isn't over the top. Several people on the outside looking in are telling me to be careful even at that. So face value, that question, what are your thoughts to that question? I commented um, on, on the original post, and I just said, man, that just sounded exhausting. I don't think anything wears me out more than, than counseling. And maybe that's just the skill set or the temperament that I have, but seven hours sounds like a whole lot, especially if you are the regular preaching and teaching pastor. Yeah, it sounds like a lot to me too. And I, I think it, you know, we could get into the weeds of, well, what kind of counseling is it? Like how intensive a situation is it? I think all that matters. I think so. It's probably more like a sliding scale than anything else. I also think the season of ministry that you're in right now also matters. I can't imagine adding seven more hours to my week leading up to Easter. Um, you know, I mean, all the extra stuff that that that's involving, um, or if you're launching a ministry, or you know, a number of other things that are going on. So I think it's probably some kind of sliding scale. But I think the biggest factor for me is like how trained and skilled am I for this? Is this something, I mean, I think Andrew, you talked about, um, you know, recommending someone go see an actual counselor referring, I think is the technical term for that. Right. Um, and so I think I would be more prone to maybe having one meeting to kind of understand and then referring somebody out. I, I can't remember what book it is. It might be, um, 
it might be the pastor's book, which is that um, book from Crossway that came out a number of years ago. Uh, Kent Hughes, I think, is the editor. But I think in that there was either a PDF document or it was in the back somewhere of like a worksheet for counseling that you can you can use. Uh, and it has you fill out this worksheet and then it kind of allows you to make some recommendations of what to do next. Um, but yeah, seven hours seems like a like that would be the absolute most I would ever do in an extreme week situation. So yeah, if like someone's spouse walks out or they, you know, catch the yeah. kid in a conference. That's a different if, thing. If, if it, this is a, a triage situation, right. sure. Like there one time, time for one week. Exactly. But if I'm putting seven hours in my calendar every single week of counseling, I am going to be useless as a counselor and way less effective as a pastor. Yeah, so something else is going to suffer for sure. Um, now, maybe you don't do any of the other kind of like maybe you don't really have any other responsibilities that would, you know, cause somebody like Andrew and I to say, wow, that's a lot. Maybe you're not, um, you know, overseeing administrative stuff the same or maybe so I don't want to say there's a hard fast rule but it sounds like a lot to me and it's not just a matter of the time itself it's a matter of the wear and tear on your own soul uh, and on your own spirit I remember my father-in-law uh, would say that and he was a professional counselor uh, and he would he would tell me that it's about once a year maybe twice depending on it um, he would need to have a good long cry uh, just because of the intensity of the stuff he was dealing with and you know I, I mean, this t- kind of ties back to the article. I think the smaller the church is, um, I think the counseling takes on a different intensity because these are now your friends, too. So in a large church setting, you might be doing pastoral counseling with people who you don't really know outside of church. They're just congregants that you're serving. But in a small church setting like Andrew and I, I know everybody in my church. So if I'm counseling somebody over something really intense, not only does it weigh on me as a counselor, but it also weighs on me because I care about them. Like they're in my social friend group like, for the most part you, as well. You're in a small group with my wife. You know, I, my, yeah. our kid are in school together kind of thing. Whereas like you, you Any don't of those know, extra, those extra connections all add stress. They make it way heavier. They make it way heavier. <laughs> um, and I get physically exhausted when I'm emotionally exhausted. Um, so like the most, Intense time for me has been when I've been involved in foster care and there's court cases going on. It will be like I just went to court for like two hours one day. But the emotional stress leading up to and coming out of that, I will sleep 12 hours that night. And I've experienced that a little bit with counseling. Now, some counseling is life-giving. I'm doing premarital counseling right now with a couple who's like actually walking with Jesus and waiting until they're married and asking me all kinds of great questions that make me you know, excited for them. And that is giving is giving energy. It's not even taking energy away. But that's that's the only counseling I'm doing right now. Well, in re- reference to his thing, I think Jeff, it seems like you've learned who you are as a minister, and like and Andrew, like where you can fit that, you know. And and he's asking. He's around seven seven hours a week. I mean, I think we all agree that's a lot on the plate, you know. And there's three things like practically I would add. I would just add to to think about when you're leaning into your counseling life as a pastor and first is your call, right? Like some people, their call into ministry, they have a, a counseling heart in their call. So for them, it does, it's not draining. If I get out of one, that's just like heartbreaking. I need to go for a walk. I don't know how you guys are. You know, some people are like, man, Lord, thank you for sending me that person. I can't wait 
for hour two, you know? And then the second one, which is tied to it, is your capacity, right? Like, like how much of your capacity is this eating? Because if I spend a lot of time in this pastoral situation, which is a good and holy thing to do, I'm now taking time possibly away from like my sermon writing or my, my structuring. Like, so the entire church may pay for this, right? Mm. If I'm not able to devote the amount of time to this, I need to. And the last one is my core. Like if I'm not in a healthy place, I'm not going to be able to help other people get in a healthy place. So sometimes those things mitigate the calls I can take. And I will say that in a, in a, in a larger church setting, you do have the man, this is a horrible thing to say, but the advantage, that's a, it's a bad word, but like you don't know the people as well. So you could say, Hey, I've got from, you know, three fifteen to four fifteen open. If you want to swing by my office, yeah. you can make it more formal because that's what they expect from you. Right. So in the largest, you can have that in a smaller church. It, like you said, man, it's your buddy who you just build a ramp on your neighbor's house with, you know, and he just shows up at your house. Hey man, my wife and I just got into it and you're sitting down now. You're, you're doing, we're like, we're doing this right. And, and I think one of the things I've had to learn pastorally counseling in a smaller environment as opposed to a larger environment is like boundaries are still helpful. Oh, right. You need them. Yeah. So like if my buddy comes over and says, Hey, I'm having this problem with my wife and we talk through it and it's like, okay, what do you need to do? I need to go apologize and eat some crow and do this thing. Next time he shows up at my house, did you apologize? No, we don't talk. Right. Because like, I'm sorry. Like we don't like, like you're a man. I'm a man. We came up with a plan and then you went rogue. Like, Come on, you know, so like what you, so you have to have boundaries and it also, it's a great way of holding them accountable. And if they are your friend, then, then I think there's a lot of respect in that. And also you should have those boundaries and expectations with every counseling relationship. I'm about to enter into some marital counseling with a couple and they're not having problems. They want to preempt it. They're year one, you know, and they want to talk about, it. I said, well, here's a form, fill it out. Talk to me about what you want to talk about. And then we can set some boundaries. So I think boundaries are really helpful to help you guard your capacity, make sure your core is taken care of and like feed that calling. I, uh, I, I think it's important. Uh, one that we haven't addressed yet is like defining what pastoral counseling is versus other meetings. Yeah, that's good. And, and the, and I think it's important that the moment you realize you're, you're engaging a congregant in pastoral counseling, that you set those boundaries up pretty quickly because this isn't yep. like, if this is like, Hey, I need to have a, a monthly meeting with my kids director about contextualizing kids ministry for our camp, for our church. Like that's not pastoral counseling. That's like your job. And I think Jeff, you actually like your, your father-in-law. I, I remember when your father-in-law said that in our counseling class about like needing yeah. to like have a good cry. And another person explained to me like pastoral counseling healthy pastoral counseling is like opening up a browser in your computer, dealing with that situation and then closing that browser. The problem with a lot of pastors yeah. is when they have a lot of pastoral counseling uh, loads, they'll have multiple browsers open up and then you have the weight of like n a number of people's sins in your life and it can become overwhelming. And so, well, and because those people, a lot of times people won't, they don't either. They don't want to, or they don't know that what you're doing is counseling. They'll just say, hey, I want to come talk to you. And to them, it's just let's have a – especially in, in the context where you have a relationship with that person. It's not hey, formal. Hey, let's just talk. Yeah, it's not formalized. And so you end up with a situation where and, – and added to that is the is the idea, you know, that 
nobody at your church is going to tell you to do the things that you're supposed to do, right? So for pastors, none of your congregants are going to be like, oh, hey, you know what? I, I'm going to get going because I know you got to write that sermon. They just kind of like <laughs> most people just kind of act like sermons just fall out of the sky, you know, um, like that you don't actually have to spend time doing that. So you have to take the lead on making those on those boundaries and going, hey, I can meet from even in a small church. I can meet from yeah. two to three, but then I've got another thing I got to I got to do, which is study for your sermon at the same desk you did yeah. the counseling at. But you can't do that with them in the room. Um, and sometimes it's hard for people to understand that, like, I can't spend all my time serving you individually. I also have to spend my time serving the entire congregation. It's also part of my role. So I can't give all of my time to you to deal with this issue. I have to also give myself to the rest of the congregation, whether it be 50 people or, you know, a few thousand people like Frank in your situation. It's still you. you, And that's not I'm not making a joke, but it's still like I can't spend all my time with you. Um, and some some people, because of the fact that they might need some counseling, really struggle with that boundary setting. I, I think uh, uh, the moment you realize. So so you have to first understand when you're right, Jeff, they don't come in saying I need pastoral counseling. Because everything right. has the same weight, whether it's a pastoral counseling session or a conversation about changing from Welchers to the generic brand of grape juice, right? So, like you, so you once you realize that this is a pastoral counseling session, you have to create those boundaries. And Jeff, you said it right. I yeah. actually have this hard. I I learned this the hard way because I think all of us have been in that situation where you have a pastoral counseling session, and then you realize. I can't escape this conversation. This person's going to suck. Yeah, they're ready to stay yeah, there for And you three have hours. to get out of it because you didn't set the boundary ahead of time. You're going to be a jerk. It was like, I got to get out of here, right? So every session, no, even if, like this morning I had a session, I had a pastoral care thing this morning from like 9.30 to 10.30. Um, I I say I have a hard step at 10.30. I, had, I actually yeah. have, t- I had time between then and, and, and something else. But like if I don't say that, it does two things. One, yep. they can keep me forever, and that's not good. But two, it actually forces the conversation to get to the point of like what you need to, th- mm-hmm. you need to talk about. So like, 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 if it's an hour conversation, thirty minutes in, I'll be like, "Hey, just remember, I have a hard stop at this time." I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's, it like helps them kind of self-edit the caveat. But but if you so, I would say with this, don't try to squeeze in pastoral counseling at right. the last minute because. You'll get half hour into the conversation, and you'll be thinking, "Oh my gosh, I have a I have a yeah. meeting in mm-hmm. thirty minutes that I didn't yeah. tell them about. I thought I could squeeze this in because I'm a bad steward of yeah. my time, and I don't have the ability to set my own boundaries. So now I have to. Now I'm distracted. Right. I'm not helping them, and I'm acting like I'm doing what do they call it? Leave taking yeah. behavior. I'm starting to tell them, "Oh, hey, you know what? I've got to actually go in half an hour," and they didn't expect yeah. that. So and, I would say, I, don't try to squeeze this kind of counseling into your calendar, make space for it and be clear about the space. A hundred percent. And then also if you find yourself in that space, cause I've done that, right. I've taken a quick counseling before. I'm like, Oh, this is the, the thing they presented me. Wasn't a big issue. And then once we get in the room, I'm like, Oh right. my God. At that point, it's, it's, it's okay to look at them and say, Hey, listen, this is a lot more weightier than the time we've given it right now. Mm-hmm. I want to respect you. Can you come in Thursday at two? If we need to figure something out because you're worthy of my respect, I think it's okay to call that right in the meeting 
And, and, and also one of the biggest things I've come to learn, and maybe I'm sure you've guys, anyone listening who's in the pastor has ran to it. There are people who come to counseling because they want to get better, right? And then there are top people who come to counseling because they want your attention. Yep. And, and being able to discern which one is which is so important because if, if you get the second one, oftentimes it's like, well, my world's falling apart. Okay, let's talk about that. And then at the end, it's like, these are some things we're going to do. They never do it. They come back next week. My world's falling apart. You can dump hours into that. And the fact is, they've gotten exactly what they wanted at that point, which is your time and attention. Because in their life somewhere, they're not getting the feel of value that they have. So if they can have that isolated time with a pastor where we're talking about my issues, that in itself is feeding a larger beast. And at that point, it it's hard because then you have to have a courageous, hey, I noticed you've been here a lot. You keep reaching out. What's the real problem? But I just, I would want to caution about like the, I don't, I don't know what you would call them, but people who you really care about, but it seems like what they're wanting from you is you. You know what I'm saying? They're not wanting I, to I, fix I know the problem. But, but there's a book called Strategic Pastoral Counseling that's been very helpful. And one of the mm. things that I, 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 I still need to implement more of is not just be specific with the time frame, and not just be specific in my understanding of what is pastoral counseling, what is someone who wants just information about the church or someone who needs like help um, with like an administrative thing. But like, I also need to say a boundary of like, okay, Here's what's going to do. You and your wife are struggling. We're going to have five meetings or 10 meetings. And at the end of the 10th meeting, mm -hmm. I hope that we can kind of not necessarily solve all the problems, but be in a better place. If after that 10th meeting, we need more help, we can discuss that. But there's a chance I might push you to more strict um, professional counseling um, in, that, in that situation. I think 10 meetings is Oh, way I agree. Too I agree. I, I actually, like I, 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 I've, yeah. I've had this conversation with so many pastors about like, what is a good amount of meetings for one individual or a couple? Uh, the book recommends somewhere between like five and six. Some people have, have I would say, I would say two or three if it's not premarital. Sure. I, I think, I think it depends on the situation. Like I often like a big example of a lot of my pastoral care is like single men or married men who are addicted to pornography or something like that. And then I'll meet with them and I would say usually around four or five meetings, we'll get to a healthy place where if, if, if I, if we can't kind of understand this after five meetings, then I'm going to push them to either some sort of like um, sexual addiction therapy or some just professional counseling to kind of go to a deeper level. Cause and that's another aspect about pastoral counseling that you have to have a self-awareness of is your expertise comes from applying scripture into that person's life and helping them to think more biblically. You're not a therapist, right? You're not like a psychologist. And I think that's where a, the church is really messed up a lot in is when we start crossing those boundaries and saying mental health is like demonic stuff or whatever. Like you, you don't want to go into that world. But when you can apply, if, 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 if your pastoral care situation is, I know the scriptures and I can help you apply the scriptures to your life, to your sin, lead you to repentance, see, see pastoral counseling as a form of discipleship, that's the sweet spot. Anything outside of that, you're way above your pay rate and you need to make sure you have a relationship with professional counselors or, or other things to be able to help supplement and care for that person. With that being said... Um, I think like a book like Strategic Pastoral Counseling, the, the link will be in the show notes, 
will help you get a good framework of creating those boundaries in the first meeting. Um, so that way uh, you can um, not over, over, overdo it or be stuck in a counseling relationship. They can actually become um, unnecessarily dependent on you. And, and like, like kind of like what Delmar said, that people just want your attention. The, the, having those boundaries gets you out of that. Now, let me say this one thing, and I know Andrew don't want to say something. I think seven hours is a lot for me, but I think it's all dependent on your capacity. Like as a, even as a campus pastor, where my primary job is to just be with people, for pastoral counseling or biblical counseling, that's a lot because of also the, the spiritual weight it puts on me. Um, and also with everything else I have in my like, – like in my week, I also have a lot of administrative meetings. I have a lot of you know prep and all the other stuff. I would say a good sweet spot for me is about five hours a week. Um, and, and that depends also if it's a preaching week, but anyways, Andrew Dell, you guys, we've been interrupting each other. What do you guys thought? No, I just wanted to say what you said. I was going to ask you to scream it out loud. Like your jurisdiction is the word of God. (laughs) Like, come on, like say that, like stake that down somewhere. How many pastoral counseling is like, well, here's five new strategies for you to find inner and like, we're not using scripture. Like this is so, if if you find if you have found and I'm I'm even convicted like if you find yourself in a, a pastoral counseling situation and you're just not dripping scripture, even even from your lips or either through the background of what's propelling what you're saying, then we're not doing that and we're meddling in territory we shouldn't be meddling in. Like we should be passing this on to people who are more qualified than us to handle that. You know, now does that not mean that sometimes we're just ministry of presence is a thing, correct? So sometimes our pastoral role is to be there with them in it. And that is it. But it's it's like Job's friends, right? Like when did they really mess up? <laughs> when they started talking. And I think sometimes pastors like we need to know when to stop talking, right? Or when 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 we're saying the things that God should say, we're having the ministry of presence, but then at some point it's like for some reason, we can feel like, well, I'm the pastor. I can help this person with all their things. And but that's we're not qualified even legally to do that, right? So I think that, man, Frank, I want to just scream what you just said. Like our authority is the word of God. It's not the DSM whatever, right? Like that's, that's a, probably a great tool, bro, you know, and we shouldn't be ignorant of it. But we should know enough to when we somebody needs like help beyond us that we – pastorally get them to that yeah. that doesn't mean we drop them well, the but our conversation is different is to know when you shouldn't be counseling that person <laughs> you're saying like oh you're Absolutely. actually dealing with like super anxiety that's beyond you just meditating on scripture you need to maybe get medication i can't determine that let me pass you on to a good a good counselor for that you know what i'm saying andrew um i was gonna say two things you know first i think it's powerful to tell someone, hey, I I am not equipped to counsel you. I am equipped to talk with you and pray for you, but here's the difference between me and a counselor, and I think letting people know what that difference is and why it matters is important. And then I had just had a question for you, Frank. Um, you know, like we, we started recording a little bit late because I had someone walk in today looking for me. Um, is there a layer between you and the street, Frank, like, you know, if someone comes in looking for you, can they get to you? Because, you know, again, Jeff and I are the solo full-time staff members at our churches. Um, the kind of crazy that I've experienced as a small church pastor compared to 
you know, being at a, on a staff of 18 or 20 people, um, for, for whatever reason, I think the small churches attract a specific kind of crazy. And maybe it's because they know they're not going to get to somebody at the bigger church. Um, or, or maybe it's just because the people at the bigger churches I was at loved me enough to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to be the buffer. So Frank, what's the buffer between you and, uh, someone coming in off um, the street? Honestly, if, uh, I don't have a, uh, an admin right now. But there was a time I had an admin, and that person was kind of a buffer. I would say it depends on what the person on the street is looking for. You know what I'm saying? If it's a business, like in your situation, if it's a business trying to connect with the church, um, I actually don't think there is a layer. I, could, I probably would be – like I get emails, I'm sure like you guys do, all the time of like people trying to connect with Epicos about this and that and this and that. And it's directly to me, even though we do have a generic email for the church, that someone else would be checking – but I think, uh, um, I think it is more difficult. Also, like I'm, I office out of a campus, and when you Google our church, the main address is not my campus, so that helps. So the only way, like someone would end up at my campus just off the street, would be someone just knowing our location and coming out to us directly. Um, but I mean, you know, I still have the conversations with the nonprofits wanting to partner with us and all those other things, and. Um, I think, uh, this is kind of a more of a philosophical thing. The moment a larger church doesn't have those connections with the community, that becomes a problem. I think like someone, like, I don't know if you guys saw my tweet where on Sunday morning, uh, I talked about how I was running around a grocery store trying to find grape juice because we didn't have any for communion. There was a couple of people who messaged me who said, wait, why are you the one doing that? Don't you have people that do that for you? And I'm like, I don't know what you think my church is, <laughs> but if we don't have grape juice, I got to go to the grocery store and go find it. <laughs> yeah, dude, I was at the grocery store on Saturday after uh, evening getting grape juice, and I ran into one of my members there, and he was like, oh, hey, what you doing? And I was like, getting the blood <laughs> yeah. of Christ, man. And then yeah. also and, coffee creamer <laughs> for coffee. And on I get Sunday. it. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, there are people, other people who do purchase that stuff uh, at, at our church, but, like, like uh, I, I think uh, – I think it, it, this is kind of getting off the topic, but when it comes to the responsibilities of a campus for a campus pastor, I think a campus pastor can really flourish when they have the mentality of a small church pastor and say, this is my flock, this is my campus, this is my congregation, and I will I will serve this faithfully. And, and the moment I, I, I have this like kind of like I'm five layers away from the community or five layers away from someone wanting to meet with me, I think that becomes a problem, you know, but – Anyways, we have a couple resources. Uh, uh, Jeff uh, found the book and the document about pastoral counseling. We're going to put that in the show notes. Strategic pastoral counseling is in the show notes. This is a good question. Hopefully, uh, the person who asked the question uh, has somewhat of an answer, but I can't stress this enough. You have to be able to determine between what is actually a pastoral counseling session and what is whatever else, you know, getting to know a person, all that kind of stuff. And you got you as the pastor have to create those boundaries because your congregate will not. They will either take advantage of you and try to get as much out of you as you can, or they won't realize that they actually need to have more sessions than they anticipate. It's it's a both end. I'm not saying that like your congregants are pariahs and they're just kind of like like it's not that. It's just the dynamic of the relationship isn't for the congregant to make those decisions. You have to make those decisions. 
and uh, and you have to be strict to those decisions. And I mean, it helps when like Andrew, you talked about earlier about how you have uh, an admin who says don't talk to you on Friday. Like an admin can help you with those counseling sessions. You know. When I had an admin and someone needed counseling, I was like, hey, go talk to my admin. They'll set it up. My admin knows, like, hey, you're going to – this is a pastoral counseling session. And it's only going to be for so many times, and they actually create the boundaries for those hours. If you have an admin, you can actually have another layer to help protect those things, but you have to communicate that in the first session. Also, one last quick thing before we go. Um, if there's ever a time you're in the lobby on a Sunday morning and someone comes up to you and like, hey, pastor, I need to talk to you, the moment you sense – it's nope. a pastoral care thing. Be like, hey, this isn't the right time for this, but I would love to meet with you. Let's set up a time on the calendar. Don't get stuck in a pastoral counseling session uh, between services or bet- before the service or something like that. Because it's, it's you're not being a good steward of the moment that you're called to be in. Also, pro tip, learn to not say to people on Sunday morning, <laughs> hey, how are you? Because some people will start to tell you and go yeah, for half an hour. Good to see you works just good as well. Good to see you is... <laughs> This is a sweet spot. Also, kind of sum up what you said, Frank, about, like, you have to be the one to set the boundaries. Shepherds can't be passive. Like, we're shepherds. We can't be passive. We It's not that we're aggressive, but we we take initiative, right? Shepherds take initiative to care for the, the congregation and yourself. So don't depend on the congregant to take the initiative to set the boundaries. You set the boundaries. That's your role. That's good. That's good. Well, this was a good episode. Uh, Tim, we miss you. Uh, if you have questions, Tim, you're like two hours drive from me, three hour drive from me. Let's hang out because you're listening uh, to this if, right if, now. If, if you, <laughs> you yeah. can go churn some go butter with him, Jeff. With him. I should. Uh, if you uh, if you uh, would like to keep this conversation going or ask a question, go to our Facebook group. That's like a primary place to keep this conversation going. Follow us on Instagram. Hey, we are still trying to get to a thousand people in our Facebook group. We're we're not there yet. If you know a pastor, someone in ministry, uh, in your community, in your church, or whatever that that isn't in our Facebook group, invite them. We'd love to 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 have them be a part of our little community. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar P. And this is Part I'm Andrew Larson. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better. <laughs>